Hello and welcome. Today we've got a wonderful interview for you. I'm going to be speaking today with the wonderful Robin McKinnon, who is an accredited mental health social worker from here in Tasmania. Hi Robin, how are you today? Hi Tess, thanks for having me. Very, very, very glad to have you here. Today we're going to be talking about perinatal loss. So this is the field of perinatal mental health narrowed down to, although I know Robin works very broadly in perinatal mental health as I do, but Robin's got a special interest in perinatal loss, so the loss of a baby. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about her work generally today, but also more specifically in that specific area of perinatal practice. So Robin, would you like to just tell us a little bit about how you got into the field in terms of your social work journey into perinatal mental health? And, um, and then we'll talk a little bit about perinatal loss a bit more specifically down the track. So tell us about your background. Yeah, thanks Tess. So, um, so I've been working now for um, almost 18 years. Um, I initially started out in the youth and community services work. Um, but about 10 years ago, my husband and I had our own experience of loss. And when we experienced our, um, the death of our child, I became acutely aware of the gap in services for um, families who experienced a range of miscarriage, stillbirth and perinatal death. And after that experience, um, I guess my eyes became opened to a range of needs for both health professionals and for families going through their own journey of grief and loss, both in the initial stages of loss, but also through subsequent pregnancy. And so as a trained professional, um, and then as a counsellor at that time, I guess I took a special interest in learning more about that myself in my journey, but then also skilling myself up into better understanding how to support other people. So I took a special interest. I became more um, skilled in how to support other families through that. Um, and I guess, you know, that began my own professional journey over the last 10 years. And um, here I am now and um, do lots and lots of work in supporting families. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you're based in La Trobe in the north of Tasmania. You practice there, you practice in Launceston and you practice also on the islands, the, the Bass Strait Islands, so King Island and Flinders Island. Um, yeah, so my main, my main office is in Longford, not quite La Trobe. Um, Sorry, I, I must confess, I often, I often confuse the two. I know which one I mean, but I often say the wrong one. Thanks for that. <laughs> So, yes, I have my main office in Longford in um, the middle of Tassie. And, um, yes, you're right, so Flinders Island and King Island I visit, as well as having an office in Launceston. Um, and I um, do a, a lot of work supporting um, people across um, the age, from, you know, young people and children all the way through families and couples. Um, but I do have a particular special interest in working with families who either going through the journey of having um, fertility issues and miscarriage and stillbirth, um, or, or going through either, um, yeah, pregnancy after a loss or parenting after um, a loss, yeah. Yeah. You've also been increasingly uh, building a, a social media profile and really spreading the message around perinatal loss, perinatal mental health, and also reaching out to other professionals. Mm. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit about the um, professionals network that you've recently launched yeah, thanks, Tess. So, um, actually, it started about five years ago. So, I completed my master's in social work degree. Um, it, it, that took me a long time because I, I had my own um, children. 
And um, like most professionals, while having babies, I completed a master's degree, um, very part-time, and I specialised during that degree um, with a particular focus on perinatal grief and loss and bereavement. And um, I developed alongside some colleagues of mine some training to other health professionals here in Tasmania, um, supporting them in looking at their practice and how do they support families right at that very beginning. So when they find out either the baby has died or when they've gone in and they've given birth and unfortunately there's been either the baby has died during um, delivery or soon after birth. And so supporting um, midwives and doctors and sonographers and pathologists and funeral directors and social workers around, you know, some of those really basic principles around how to support parents, um, how to look after parents and look after babies in that time um, and in that grief journey. So during that time, one of the key messages that I was getting from other health professionals was how isolated they felt that often they felt like they were one of few people in the area doing this work and then they felt really alone that they didn't know that there were other people out there with a passion or an interest in this work and they didn't know or where to find other training or how to connect into it and this was the same message that i felt too when i was trying to get um, my handle on where could i get more information when i had an interest in this and so after one of our trainings in Launceston five years ago, um, I created a closed Facebook group, which I kicked off as called the Australian Perinatal Loss Professionals Network. And we had about 20 people as part of that network. And it was just a closed group where it was a discussion place. So we didn't talk case studies, but it was where we could share resources. We might've shared research. We might ask a question about where would we get some information about this or did anyone know a service that could support a family around a particular issue and it just grew from there and um, you know about last year we had around 150 people from all across Australia and I have no idea where half of them had found out about this group but it kept on growing and um, it was it was growing with momentum and I guess what I discovered was that there was a growing need for people to feel connected that a lot of people were feeling like that they were isolated in their communities of practice and they wanted to feel connected for some support but lots of people were desiring training and encouragement and support in the work that they do because they wanted to do better and that they wanted to do better by their parents that they were supporting so that they knew that they were doing um, good practice and so i felt it was time to perhaps stop hiding the work that i was doing and to be courageous and maybe take it public. <laughs> and so I spent a bit of time over the January this year and, um, and decided maybe to be brave and to, um, and to launch it officially. And so, um, and last week we, we launched a public page and we'll be soon launching a website to go with it so that we could tell the rest of Australia that this um, this network of um, multidisciplinary health professionals existed and alongside that will offer some training and conferences and other networking opportunities to support and encourage and empower um, you know multidisciplinary health professionals in the work that they do because a lot of people are out there doing really really incredible and privileged work in this space. That's fantastic. 
Do you find also that the clinicians who are drawn to work in this field, because it's, it's let's face it, it's a really sad field to work in, and you, I know you've had your personal story, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but do you find that clinicians drawn to work in this very, very sad field have their own history of perinatal loss, or is that just, is, is it not, not a predictor? What do you find overall with all these clinicians who are drawn to join the network? Look, I think there's a number of us that would have our own story. Um, and like any of the work that we do, I think, you know, all of us will have either been touched by perinatal loss or know somebody. And, you know, statistically, the statistics are really high. You know, one in four um, pregnancies will end in a miscarriage. So, you know, there would have to be a, a quite a high percentage of people working in this field that will have been touched by it. But I don't think you have to have experienced a loss to work in the field. In no. fact, you know, there are incredibly compassionate midwives and social workers and psychologists and other professionals who, who do this work incredibly well. So you don't have to have experienced it. But, you know, there are a percentage of people who, who have walked the journey. Um, but, you know, together, you know, it's a team approach. And, and I think if we can work together and, and encourage each other, we can, we can do really, really good privileged work. It is a sad area to work. You know, you are right but it's also really bittersweet and and a lot of people um, don't quite understand that when I say that but you know it is such a privilege to work alongside a family when when they have been through this because yes it is really sad and it, and it is a, such a tragedy to to walk along this journey but there's some incredibly beautiful things that can sometimes come through that and you know to see growth and to see resilience um, sometimes to watch relationships blossom, um, you know, families that will sometimes go on and experience, you know, incredible blessings. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't want people to go through these horrendous things no. as they go through it. Um, but, you know, sometimes when you watch someone go through the storm and then they come out the other end and they, you know, hold uh, a sub another baby and they have got done the grief journey and then they're, coming out with another baby and they're, they're still grieving the previous child and they're moving on with a family and they're, they're doing this journey together. And it's such a beautiful thing to watch on the sidelines. And so mm -hmm. there are beautiful parts to the work that we do and it's such yeah. a privilege. Yeah. I know in my own work with um, clients in the perinatal space and clients who've experienced a perinatal loss, that's probably one of the most common threads that I've found working with families is allowing room for grief for a lost mm. child while also welcoming joy for a new child mm. and, and encouraging families to find a balance and to find room for all of those feelings. I mean, and you're right, it is a very privileged space to be in, you know, to be walking alongside those families through that journey. It's quite heartening to see people come through that, you know, come to that, that other side. Do you want to share with us your experience perhaps of perinatal loss and, um, and how that's gone on to shape how you work with other families? Mm. Yeah, so I guess, you know, for us as a family, you know, we weren't so sure that we could have children. So it took us a long time to fall pregnant. And, um, you know, there was a point in that journey for us that we had even started to prepare that we were going to be a childless couple. 
Um, and so for several years, we had, in, had attempted to fall pregnant. We'd gone through lots of processes. Um, and we're, you know, we were halfway there of thinking that was it for us. And that, that in itself was a grief that we were yeah. trying to process. Um, and then quite to the point, we were almost finishing that process. We found out we were pregnant. And, and that was wonderful. And yet there was an anxiety that came with that. And then we got to 17 weeks into our pregnancy when um, my waters broke. And, um, you know, when waters break at 17 weeks, there's not a lot that can be done. And so, you know, we had to deliver our baby at, at 17 weeks. And that was really, really difficult. Um, and our baby wasn't able to survive. And so I had to, to labour and to go through the um, actual birth and um, deliver our son, who looked absolutely perfect at 17 weeks. Um, and, and, you know, you don't have any idea what that means when you go to deliver. And in your head, you think, okay, can you, can you just have a DNC? But at 17 weeks, the doctors are saying, no, you, you actually have to physically deliver this, this baby. And so it was a really difficult experience for us to physically go through that birth. And so, so we delivered our son, Adam, and, um, and then we, we took him um, from the hospital. We were really, really thankful that unlike a lot of people, um, we had an obstetrician who had previously been a psychologist in a past life. Wow. He, yeah, yeah. And, um, and he had an understanding about grief and loss and had come alongside us and said, you know, um, you have an option of taking our son home. Um, and, you know, at that time, you know, we had no idea what our rights and options were. And he said, look, Robin, you, um, and Nick, my husband was there. He said, you know, you, you, are, you don't just have to leave him here. You, you, he's, when, a, when a baby is born before 20 weeks, um, you don't, he's not considered a baby, unfortunately, which is yeah. quite a very hard concept to understand when you're a, a mum that's grieving. Um, you don't get entitled to a funeral or a burial in, in that sense. Um, you can take your baby home with you if you would like. And we didn't quite know how to understand that or to comprehend that at that time. And so we, we made some decisions around what did we want to do with this little baby. Um, and so we made the decision to take our baby um, to a very special place, not to our home, to a place that was very meaningful to us, um, and to release him into some water um, to do our farewell. Yeah, it's so and beautiful. And incredibly meaningful. Yeah. And so... And I remember the peace that we felt. And, and I remember to that day feeling like, you know, that was really, really special for us. And, and afterwards, as we went on the journey, the sad thing that I, I heard was so many other families not being given that option. Yeah. Um, yeah. So many other families, sadly, not being told that they had the option to to take their babies with them or to choose or have control or power over um, what they could do with their baby. And so for us, you know, it was a really difficult time. Um, you know, my husband, um, he did 
the grief journey very differently to me. Um, so for me, because of the way my brain works, I went straight into how can I help other people? <clears throat> so instead of, um, I didn't quite go back to work straight away, but I went into looking at running support groups and mm -hmm. finding out why was there no support group here in Tasmania at the time. Um, and, and we went on a journey together as we continued to look at having another child. And um, eventually and thankfully, we did have other live children. But our next pregnancy was really difficult. And, um, and that was probably the next hard part of the journey is that a lot of people looked at our next pregnancy and, and thought, oh, my gosh, you must be so excited to be pregnant again. And we yeah. weren't. I wasn't. I was yeah. petrified. And I yeah. honestly, um, I honestly didn't know if we would bring a live baby home. And so yeah. for me, even now, this is 10 years, 10 years mm -hmm. of this journey. And even as we talk about it, I'm okay, but there's still emotion. There's still grief of, as of the journey that we've been on. Absolutely. And I think this is really important for people to understand. I think, you know, I know that you talk about your personal experience fairly regularly you know it's part of the work that you do and it's part of that community education that you're so passionate about you've spoken to me about it before at least a couple of times um as part of the you know the collaborations we've had in the past and it is still very raw for you as it should be you know it is one of the one of every parent's dreaded fears is to lose a child and it is a, an absolute crisis of emotion and um and these things don't just go away and i think that a lot of our understandings as a community around perinatal loss. And I think especially, as you say, you know, under 20 weeks gestation, mm. people think it's very sanitised. They think it's just a, oh, it's a miscarriage and, it, and, and they think that that just is a simple thing that happens and then you get over it and get on with your life and then you just look at having another baby and you move on. And those emotions are very, very deep and very, very entrenched and are just as valid at six weeks as they are at... 30 weeks as they are at two years of age and so on. So I think, you know, hearing you talk, hearing hearing that crack in your voice, watching your eyes well up, I mean, it touches my heart um, whenever I've seen that from you. And I know that other parents and professionals working in the field will resonate deeply with what you're saying because it isn't something that we talk about very often, but it's something that I think anyone exposed to this will relate to. Yeah. Yeah. So how did Nick go in terms, you mentioned that his grief was different to yours and that you channeled all of your energy into helping other parents. Was he more, um, was he, did he have someone to talk to? Did he keep it all inside himself? I mean, how did he go in terms of blokes? You know, we're, we're often not hearing dad's stories and I, I hope he's okay with me asking those questions without mm. him present. <laughs> but how, how did he recover from his grief anyway? Yeah, look, we, Nick and I talked about it um, soon after, but then years after as well, that one of the things that he remembers on the very moments afterwards um, that we reflect on now, we've heard this from other couples as well, is um, how forgotten he felt, is that very much the focus was on me and the baby. Um, and, you know, soon after I delivered our son, Adam, um, 
because of the gestation I was with the pregnancy, I also had to then be rushed off to surgery to have my placenta removed, which was very clinical and, you know, that's just what happened. Um, yeah. But very much the, the medical professionals were very much focused on me physically. And it wasn't until then that I was whisked out of the room after surgery that all of a sudden he was left in the, you know, labour ward room um, and then somebody turned to him and one of the midwives said, oh, and how are you? And that was the first time he remembered someone noticing him. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he was kind of okay, but he'd spent the two days basically focused on me and looking after me and managing me. Um, and, and I think that really hit him. Like, um, and I think he was okay, but he was noticing like, what about me? You know, like yeah. he, he was there too and he was grieving and, it hadn't quite hit him to the same depth and he acknowledged that, that, you know, this pregnancy for us, uh, he was still coming to an understanding that he, like most dads, um, it wasn't quite real yet. I was still very early into the pregnancy and he was still getting his head around it and getting excited and attaching and all those things. But, you know, he felt a bit lost and forgotten. But it when Adam was born and he could see Adam, I think that's when it was real. And, yeah. you know, like literally, um, if you can imagine it, if you hold out your hand, you know, our son literally fitted in the cup of our hand. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. that's how small he was. And his, the body of him fitted in, he was 18 centimetres long. And, you know, he had, his, he was actually a whole body. He had fingernails and toenails and, he had a head and a stomach and legs and arms and, you know, apart from the fact that he didn't have a heartbeat, he looked like a tiny version of um, what a baby should look like, um, a very perfect little baby, just not a full-grown live baby. So I think it really did hit him in a way that um, I think surprised him. And, you know, I remember later him saying um, up until then he didn't quite get the whole let's try for a baby and when most people who have fertility issues have to try for babies when you have to plan to certain days of the month you didn't quite yep. get that um the next time round, he was much more committed to the process because he went I really do want this um yeah, yeah I think it really brought him on board that he really did want to be a dad but it, it was different um and I remember a few months later um he was he was at work and um he he was at the end of school he worked at the school and he told me um it was the end of school assembly and um he just remembered that that feeling of he wouldn't be able to bring his kids in his son in to meet um everybody that year and um, and that was really, you know, that really touched me because he hadn't really talked about Adam much. And I went, oh, he does think about it. He does grieve. Yeah. Yeah. I cry. You can see. <laughs> and, and he's not the crying kind of person. Mm. But he was grieving too in his own way. And yeah, it just sure. reminded me that um, we were both doing the grief journey just differently. Yeah. 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 
And, and as you know, as we said, you know, so many parents are told after after the loss of of an infant, either you know, perinatally or you know, shortly after birth, they uh, are so often told, "Oh well, let's just you know, jump back on the horse, let's go again, mm. let's try again." There's so much pressure on parents to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and not indulge in inverted commas in uh, in grief and be forward focused and that is such a tall ask you know we we certainly wouldn't expect that of families when they've lost say a toddler or a preschooler or or a high schooler or any child for that matter Um, we would expect people to grieve we would expect people to be stopped in their tracks and yet we don't allow the same grace often. You know, we don't think to allow the same grace um, for perinatal loss. So this conversation, you know, more broadly, not just us today, but more broadly, this conversation is so needed. So tell me about um, how hard it was or wasn't for you to then focus your attention on other families and, and hearing their stories. I mean, how did you balance that with your own grief? Mm, it's a really good question because... You know, most of the time, it, it wasn't hard. Um, there were moments, though, where obviously it pushed the button. Um, and so it, it was about, you know, balancing that. And I was really mindful that there were times, particularly when, you know, for me around my anniversary dates. Um, yep. And I would often question, you know, the 1st of November for me, um, do I take the day off? Um, and I guarantee always on the 1st of November, um, I would go, oh, no, no, I will work because I, if I take the day off, which is Adam's day, um, I'm, I'm worse off, so I need to focus at work and I guarantee I'll always get a new perinatal referral on that day. Um, and ironically, it's often a really similar story and I will be a little bit more emotional. Um, but what I, I became to notice was that sometimes being a little bit emotional has been okay as long as... Yeah as long as I make sure that keeps it in check because it needs to be about the person in front of me. If my grief yep. becomes too intrusive, obviously that's not okay. Um, yep. Yep. But, but one of the things that I guess I noticed was that, um, you know, a lot of the families that I, I've worked with over the years, you know, they don't need platitudes. They don't need someone to fix this because there's nothing I can say or do that's going to fix it more than anything what they needed was someone who was comfortable enough to sit and hear the story and have the conversation and allow them to have the space to tell the story and you know I um I felt safe enough to do that with them because so many people eventually when they would find my office would say to me, oh, I've seen someone else before and they just look so uncomfortable when I pulled out a photo to show them my baby or I would tell them my story and they look so awkward. Um, Or they would use language, sadly, that was so clinical and they, as parents, didn't feel they could talk about their babies. And that really broke my heart because you know, what is really, really important is that they are a mum and they are a dad too. And Absolutely just, right. you know, those of us who are very lucky enough to have um, yeah. live children, that we want to brag about our live children, they want to talk about their children too. And so creating that safety and that space to talk about 
the journey, the birth, the pregnancy, you know, what it was like when they met their baby, whether it was um, at six weeks into the pregnancy, whether it was at 17 weeks, whether it was 32, whether it was, as you said, you know, um, many weeks after they were born, you know, talking about that story and having that conversation is actually really important. Um, and so creating that space for me is, mm. is such a special thing. Um, and I, I feel like that, you know, that comes with tears sometimes. Absolutely. And, and sometimes I find, you know, that can be tiring, to be honest, at times. Um, but often when I am sitting with a, a, either an individual, a mum or a dad or a couple, when I'm having this conversation, mm. there's something beautiful and honouring about that too because as we talk about this baby or the sometimes multiple babies, you yeah. know, I might be one of the few people that, have got to meet their baby with them and we can remember and honour those babies together. And I, I think that's very special. It is. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I think that um, something that I've often wondered about, and I, I think I might have told you uh, my brother had a, a still, his first son was still born mm. and uh, he would have been the first grandchild. Um, for my father and I, I know that my father is still deeply affected even though he now has one, two, three, four, um, um, six grandchildren uh, and he's still deeply affected by that first loss and I think the grandparents often they have all their hopes and dreams just as parents do have all their hopes and dreams sort of wrapped up in this pregnancy and they're just so excited and a loss for them is is you know often missed you know the grief for them is often missed do you have many have you had the opportunity to work with many grandparents or is that something that hasn't really found its way to you often grandparents don't come into my office but sometimes you know we will have that conversation um, with parents and um, often with the mum and we'll talk about how is she coping with extended family and mm. and and have that conversation about you know how how are the grandparents going and to talk talk about engaging with them and and their grief and also siblings you know if there are siblings or other family members of course, yeah because you know it is wide reaching and there might be other family members or friends that have been touched by this experience too and sometimes you know what we find happens is there are other family members who've never told their story that it might be the, the grandmother or the great-grandmother who never actually told anybody that they too, 40 yeah. years ago, there actually was another child in the family. And then all of a sudden, not only are we having the grief of the, the mm. current baby that has died come out, but there's also now another loss that's come out. And, and that can be tricky to manage sometimes. Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. So I want to ask you, I guess, two two threads of advice. Mm. Um, so I, I think first and foremost for families experiencing a perinatal loss, you know, what's your what's your first line of encouragement and advice advice for them? Take your time. You know, I think particularly in the moment when you find out that your baby has died, you know, stop and take some time. 
you know, we often get this sense of pressure that things have to happen quickly, particularly um, within the medical system, that sometimes there isn't a level of urgency that there might be a rush to progress, um, whether it might be because there's potential risk to the, the mother to deliver the baby or a process that might need to happen. And that's important to take medical advice but sometimes we actually have time to slow down the process to look at what do you need to do to prepare for what's about to happen. So take yeah. some time, seek advice, you know, maybe reach out to some of the bereavement organisations that are out there because you can do things. You can create photos, get footprints, um, invite people in arrange for family to be part of that process. You know, there is, isn't always a rush to get this to happen. Um, yeah. So take time and, um, you know, do what you need to do to get through that very initial stages. Um, and that this grief journey is a process um, and that, you know, you might not need the support right now, but it might be down the track. And, you know, that support is always available to you, even if it's 10 months down the track or 10 years down the track, you know, bereavement mm -hmm. organisations and counselling, you know, is available to anybody. That's fantastic. How would people get in touch with you if they wanted to access your services? What's the best way for them to reach you? So you can probably, probably the best thing is to go to my website, which is www.rmcounselling.com.au. Um, or you can go to my Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash RM Counselling, um, and that will have all my details on those pages and you can reach out to me that way. So that's R for Robin, M for McKinnon, Counselling. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> okay, thank you. And um, the second prong, if you like, of my advice question is around what advice would you give to mental health professionals working in this field and when, they, when they're, you know, working with a family bereaving a perinatal loss? Mm, that is a really good question too. I think, you know, the best advice is to be guided by the families, you know, and I think that's a tricky one too because a lot of the time families don't know what they can do either but sometimes it's about saying, you know, sit with them and to say, first of all, be mindful of your language, really, really important. So throw all the clinical words that you have in your head out the window. <laughs> and yes. if I, you know, please don't use words like miscarriage, fetal matter, you know, all that yes. kind of stuff. All of those words are really, really offensive and traumatic for families. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a baby. It's really important that this is a baby, no matter what gestation of the pregnancy. Um, yeah. But always, you know, ask the family how they would like you to describe or call their baby. So if they have a name for their baby, um, you know, invite them to have some control over it, um, how they want you to work with them. And then see if they can guide you as to how they want you to work with them and empower them to have some control because right in that very moment they have absolutely no control or power over what is happening and the most important thing that we can give them is a little bit of control and if we can guide them and give them some options on what they can do to honor and support them to look after their baby and then right in the moment they might not feel that they are up to 
spending time with their baby or seeing their baby or taking photos, you know, you can still give them the options and you can empower them and do some things for them and they can come back to that later. But if we don't give them those options at the front and then later they regret it, you know, that that's where things go wrong. So don't be afraid to offer. Don't be afraid to talk to them about their baby. Um, because most parents actually want to talk to to you about them, but make sure you're being led by them and be really culturally sensitive to to their needs. Absolutely. Great advice. Great advice. Now, a question out of that is, do you offer uh, support and supervision to mental health professionals? So, for example, I can think of many instances where mental health professionals might not be specialising in perinatal mental health let alone perinatal loss so do you offer support to mental health professionals if they are working with a couple and not sure how to proceed absolutely so you know if someone is um, wanting to either have a one-off debrief or if you're interested in doing some you know more regular supervision work around you know improving your skills in working with um, bereaved families I'm happy to do that. Now, obviously, I'm based in Tasmania, but we can do Zoom sessions. That's not a problem. Um, But I'm also going to be running some training um, coming up very shortly so people can um, come down and do some training. And um, a colleague of mine um, in Melbourne and I have just also launched a national conference that will be hosting in Melbourne in October. So there will be lots of opportunities for um, um, a range of disciplines, including mental health professionals, to start skilling up and um, feeling more confident in how they can work with bereaved parents. Fantastic. So you've got a group on Facebook. Can you re- just remind us what's the name of the Facebook group for mental health professionals who might want to keep abreast of all of this sort of stuff? So if you head over um, to, it's called the Australian Perinatal Loss Professionals Network, um, and you notice, and I can't remember what Facebook's calling it just yet, but if you look for a beautiful green logo that's got a little love heart, it's a green love heart and two little footprints in the top of the love heart. And those footprints are a digitised version of my son Adam's 17-week gestation footprint. So they're very obviously um, connected to the work that I do. Um, so come and find it and that's the public Facebook page and then there is a online community that you can join and that's our online discussion page specifically only for health health professionals Um, but come and say hello connect with me if that's of interest to you and um, if you're specifically interested in the mental health side of things um, send me a message and we can have a bit of a chat fantastic well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and also, you know, shedding some light on such a sensitive topic for so many families. And I know, you know, you and I have talked about this before, that there are also so many health professionals and mental health professionals touched by grief around perinatal loss. And, uh, you know, so there are so many inspired to help others. But as you say, you know, it's not a necessity or a prerequisite for working with these families. And uh, And I do hope that, over time we get better as a society in supporting families during this this terribly sad period of their lives thank you again for joining us robin and i'm sure i'll be talking to you very soon and i'll be talking to the rest of this audience very very soon as well bye-bye for now thanks Jess. bye